violoncello. Of course, it means the little big viola. So this was always, uh, even the form of it, of course, was always a large uh, sculptural object in my composer's creative imagination. And I always wanted to write a cello concerto. Uh, it's bigger, it's thicker than the big line of a violin concerto. And certainly I could not have written this cello concerto without first having solved the problem of writing uh, an extended work for violin and orchestra. So I had this vision, because we all saw Jacqueline Dupre in the, the, the 50s and so on. Uh, the iconic stuff was there. So I knew the cello could, uh, could, could scream, could whisper, could sing, could uh, cuddle you, could uh, seduce you in several octave levels. But then we had to come back to the eternal problem, form. We've got that, we've got the orchestra. What's the form of an introductory movement, a slow movement, a scherzo, and a final movement? I suppose I was afraid, uh, first of all, because a violin concerto or a cello concerto is such a beautiful idea. It's, it's a great singer, female and male. Uh, and I thought, too beautiful, keep my hands away from that. I was also in several earlier works, the symphonies and very early work here in Dublin, early 70s, three pieces for uh, orchestra, three pictures for my exhibition, and other uh, orchestral works, because I was then into picture and the pictorial also, and the... Uh, immense bank of colours that the modern orchestra gives us. So I was slowly approaching, I suppose, the violin concerto and then the cello concerto. Now I'm delighted I did. And of course, I knew Dvorak's and I knew Lutoswatsky's. And these two, for me, godfathers of the new work, uh, each in his own way solved the problem. <laughs> I think it's the nature of the instrument. I mean, it sings, doesn't it, so beautifully in its bass and baritone and alto and highest uh, soprano range. Uh, it has to sing. So you'd think, uh, or I thought, as I was composing it, much more horizontally, maybe than in other works, where I'd be thinking vertically with the chordings and the uh, instrumental uh, chords and so on, the, um, or blocks. This, of course, has to flow. All of the voices, they have to flow. Um, so it is, it's, it's a given from the cello, or indeed from the violin. And I think it would be quite wrong of me to give just various uh, sound moments and shortest little atomic bullets from the cello. I think that would be uh, a basic abuse of this great singer uh, now, it doesn't mean that I have to sound neo-romantic at all, or bad middle romantic, not at all. It has to be the Frank Corcoran tonal language, but it has to flow. I had really done all of my thinking 
before I wrote the first bar at all. And of course, everything has to flow out of the first bar. Uh, there I'm with Mr. Beethoven. Bar one is your key to everything. And I had already used in several works, now don't ask me why, Dr. Freud, please, uh, why I had used for several years now, and I'm still using it as my, my building blocks, my little Frank Corcoran scale, which is only seven tones. And I seem to get an immense orchestral mileage out of that. And I just don't know why. It's a G, it's an A flat, a C sharp. It's a D, so you've got now two, two open strings of the cello. Very important for resonating. And then you have an E flat, F sharp, and an A. So you have a, a pool of seven tones. And I was able to make the, to make the violin concerto out of that. I was able to make a big choral work some years ago. I did a lot of... I quarried a lot of works, and I'm still quarrying the new uh, contralto work, my, or my rhapsodies for orchestra, and all kinds of works out of this Ur-Material, the Germans call it. Uh, this, this quarry, these seven stones out of my quarry. Mm -hmm. 